0: And masters almost surely have a plan There's clearly maybe something there beyond the realm of man Until we've thoroughly tested every last close-chested view Find the more you think you know, the less you really do Where would we be without THC? We know the lion lying to us, just don't know to what degree Where would we be? THC, the Great side chat show. and Company.
1: All right, we're going to do things a little bit different today, folks. Hallelujah! Hello and how are you, monster Maniacs and higher-siders. I'm Justin, joined by my co-host David, reporting in from Sizzlin, South Carolina. And folks, when it comes to navigating the nefarious nests established by the players atop the Power Pyramid, one man's endless efforts to efficiently wade through the vast wasteland of conspiracy culture and crap-filled crackpots is second to none. Joining us within the Sanctuary of the Strange from sunny San Diego is our cannabis-fueled captain of the never-ending crusade for truth, In a world filled with terror, traitors, and tech-tapping tyrants. Strap in, ladies and gentlemen, and hearken to the herald of the higher side. The one, the only, Mr. Greg Carlwood. Greg, how the hell are you?
2: (laughs) Nice, man. Thank you. (laughs) Well delivered. (laughs) It is
1: a it's hard to follow you. You know, it's, it's different when you're, when you're sitting here, you know, I got a different appreciation for the intro. <laughs> well,
2: you know, my secret is that no one really does it, but you just did. And it is just that easy.
1: Oh, there you go. All right. Uh, show's over. <laughs> <Praise> <laughs> <to he. laughs> so Greg, take us back in time. What's your, what would you say your origin story is with these sort of topics? Is there a eureka moment or an event you can point to?
2: Well, in terms of interest in these kind of things, it just seems to be a lifelong interest in things that seem off the radar from other people I know, my general peers all throughout life. I mean, no one really liked Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster (laughs) as much as I did. And I did see a strange cryptid thing when I was uh, in kindergarten. It was just very brief, but that fueled even more interest because I know what I saw. I know it was a real thing to some degree, you know, realness might be a spectrum. You know, I saw something that allowed me to listen to the stories of other people or 40 and tales and be like, man, you know, I know somebody has got to be making some stuff up, but it's also totally possible that some of this is true because my experience reflects that. So I've always been interested. And then I just, didn't really have a direction in life, as uh, many of us don't, you know, the story I was told of how to be successful, didn't seem like it was going to work. I didn't want to have a boss. I didn't want to have a conventional job or hours. Um, Every job I had was this building where 80% of the time I'm just looking at the clock, waiting to go home. And I I just didn't want to live like that. It'd be a sad existence. And unfortunately, it's very hard to dig a path away from that. Then me and my friend uh, Matt, we got desperate. We were back in Missouri and we had dropped out of college and a couple of years had gone by and we made a Hail Mary play to grow uh, weed in San Diego. We were going to move to California because we thought, hey, we can have a job that we hate anywhere. We should at least enjoy our time off the clock because I can be broke in California just like I could be broke in Missouri. But when <laughs> I'm off the clock in Missouri, I'm either pouring ice on my locks so I can get myself home, uh, you know, or just like sweating before I even reach the front door. I, it's not great. So I just thought I could be broke anywhere. And there are sunglass huts and GameStops. You know, I worked in corporate retail management. The only benefit to something like that is that there are stores everywhere. So use that as a launch pad to get yourself to a place you might want. If you have that type of job, because you already know you can do the job. So just go to a new place. And it's it's like adventure light. It's adventure with training wheels. And it's a great way to use it if you're in that kind of uh, job and you don't like it. Um, but we tried to grow weed and uh, it worked out. I mean, we grew it. They call it weed for a reason. It's pretty easy to grow, actually. But I didn't know anybody who had the kind of purchasing power to uh, make that really worth it. You know, I didn't know anyone who had $10,000 to spend on uh, a couple of pounds. So it just kind of satiated my own cost and it just wasn't really a, a great plan. And so I, I met through another Hail Mary with the higher side chats and I thought all these things I've been interested in my whole life. Let's talk to the authors and the researchers, because I felt like at the time there was only Coast to Coast AM and Alex Jones. So you got your your paranormal stuff and your conspiracy stuff. But Coast to Coast is constantly taking commercial breaks. They never can get deep into anything. And Alex Jones is constantly interrupting guests. So I thought, I'm going to start a show where I don't do either of those two things (laughs) and let these guests just talk because you got to get deep into this stuff. And in the beginning, thought I'd have a hard time talking to some of these people for one hour. And now I do a two hour show. And that's the story pretty much. And then I've been doing the the podcast for 10 years now. Started in in, uh, 2010. And it started as me just trying to find something like comedy. I was interviewing a lot of local comedians. And then I just thought, you know, I don't see this paying my rent. I'm just kind of bullshitting with local comics. It is fun. But a lot of podcasts are here's these five guys just shooting the shit. <laughs> and I just thought this this isn't going to do it either. So I went with the interview model and I'm so thankful I did.
1: We're thankful as well. So (laughs) how far into the higher side did you realize, holy shit, I can do this. People are actually listening.
2: Probably when Chris Jericho asked me to do his podcast. That was (laughs) pretty early on. And uh, I was a big wrestling fan when I was a kid. And it was just after I quit my job, maybe even a little bit before, but it was the first major per- thing uh, to happen outside of my own little bubble. Like I'm just doing my thing. And then the first major person to approach me is Chris Jericho. And he's like, Hey, I said, I wanted to do a conspiracy episode on my podcast. And I asked my Twitter followers who it should be. And they said you. And so now <laughs> he's getting me water at a hotel room in San Diego. And I'm just like, this is insane. And he was a cool, nice guy too. He would even text me week later and tell me the numbers and I was like dude I'm, I'm crazy that you're texting me but sure um, cool so that was that was probably the first major thing but of course quitting the job is is going to be a huge one I was doing something called the money bomb which I made up and I think it's illegal and no one else has done it since <laughs> But I was taking half the donations I got and I was giving, keeping half for myself and and giving half of them back to a random listener who had donated. So if you you donate through PayPal, I have your email address. So I would just take all those emails and select one. And if a bunch of people donate $5 and you get yourself up to $1,000, $500 is not bad for a month for doing a podcast in two thousand. Oh, 13. And then $500 is also not bad to show up on your doorstop unannounced. So that was cool. And then I'd do a little uh, voicemail with people and they would tell me what they spent the money on. And people like, my kid gets to play hockey now, all kinds of interesting things. And so I really liked doing that. And then that was getting a little big. And I realized it's kind of like an online international raffle and I should probably shut it down before the gaming commission asks me about it. And I, I would say when I did that money bomb, though, that was the time I quit my job. And I was already like seriously slacking. I really liked my boss, but he kind of thought of me as like a go-to guy. And then slowly I was not the go-to guy for so many things. And he was like, man, I got to be honest with you. You know, we're going to have to really have a a talk. And I was like, let me save you the trouble, Bob. I love you, man. But I've been doing this other thing on the side. And it's like so big now that I'm probably just going to leave GameStop. And he was like, are you putting in your two weeks or are you just leaving today? I was like, I'm leaving today. Unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I love Bob. He, you know, without good managers and a bad company, you can't even last a few years. Amen. So he was, the, he was the one who really like kept the seriously terrible corporate stuff at bay. He was a good liaison, you know, whatever it, it was the last job I had. That was 2014. And I've been going strong, just interviewing people that I choose to interview in the way that I choose to do it with no boss and no schedule, no time uh, that I have to do anything. Five shows a month. I put everything I got into that. <laughs>
1: so you just mentioned that it's guests that you choose now once you gain more of a following you are added to more pr lists and more agencies were reaching out to you so how do you make it through that phase to where you can make it to where you can say no to some guests i'm sure that's hard especially when you're just starting out to do your own thing
2: yes it is i mean that is hard i'm a really agreeable person so i like to say yes and i also kind of like a challenge of like this doesn't seem that interesting i wonder if i can make it interesting and sometimes in that moment, I, I say yes to things that I probably shouldn't. And if I look at my lineup of shows, I think they're pretty good. I'm proud of them. But the weakest ones, I almost always can point them out and be like, that is someone who I didn't know about. And they came to me, the publisher came to me and I said, yes, just because I wanted to be nice or I thought it maybe was unique. But it's just you live and learn. I still end up saying yes to a majority of things. I haven't learned my own lesson. <laughs> but five shows a month that fills up quickly. And if I want to pick like two new people and I want to have on two, People that I've had on before who always have more to say that only leaves one a month and, and that can fill out pretty quickly when you're on a publisher's list. But I guess you just got to remember that their job is to promote whatever is on their desk. So they might sound super passionate about it, but maybe they actually aren't either. And that's that's their job. Your job is to put on the best podcast you can. Sometimes those things intersect and sometimes they don't.
1: You said uh, five shows a month. How many episodes are you sitting on in the whole at any given time? Backlog, I would say
2: like things that have been things that are scheduled before they release
1: to be released
2: probably like on my calendar i have my next four on the books and i have my next one recorded and then usually my editor is working on one i used to do it all myself and that is something i've maintained is that i think it should be edited not exactly like an audiobook but pretty like one degree off from that really like i take all the ums and ahs out it is the most laborious process of the podcast but i do think that streamline actually makes it sound way better and now I've hired someone to do that because to do everything else and that I was like this is the biggest job that probably can be done by someone else so let's do it and so he's usually working on something while I'm you know trying to record so I'd say I'm two ahead but then I have like my next four on the the schedule already sometimes it feels a little like I'm playing fast and loose with that but I'm never scrambling to find someone especially now with so many great Guest. It was a long time before I even really had returned guests, but now there's just so many guys who tend to be the the esoteric ones, the mystics, who apply their skill to a new area instead of interviewing like the best 9-11 researcher for the eighth time. There's nothing new that th- that person's really doing. They're just really right. good at what they do. But a guy like Ross Ben or Chris Knowles or Gordon White or Michael Wan, these guys are always applying their their skill, their unique way of looking at the world to a different area and or another set of current events. And to me, that's really interesting. So those are four guys I tend to have on quite a bit.
0: Definitely going to say those are some of my favorites to listen to. I've listened to those Ross Ben episodes a handful of times piece and I could listen to any of them again and keep on going like you can hear something new every single time
2: too kind. And for people who are listening to this and don't really have context, they tend to have this way of looking at the world where synchronicity is a big part of it. Just the, the weird connections that seem to happen between names and events and dates. When you really peek under the hood, it makes you wonder what is reality, whether you're looking at the death of Kobe Bryant or the history of computer technology, you find some really weird things. You find, for example, an odd connection between the occult and occultists and computer technology, whether it's John Dee and the Enochian language he got from the angels to communicate with these multidimensional beings. And then the first computer is called ENIAC. And there's all kinds of strange things. There's with computing, another one would be, I just interviewed someone. I actually had to take a second because I don't think this has aired yet, actually. But there is a, uh, an esoteric, I believe branch of Christianity or an esoteric body of knowledge that is actually responsible for binary. They, they use a divination system of ones and zeros to commune with the other side. And this is the foundation of binary and that's the foundation of all computing which is basically taken over everything so you find weird origins to things sometimes like is the transistor reverse engineered from the roswell crash we could say or roswell working as chris Knowles might say there seems to be a lot of weird stuff under the surface of reality but it goes unnoticed and some of my favorite people which i can't even do them justice but my favorite people are the ones who are looking at the world that way. And I've tried to develop better eyes for that, but mm-hmm. it's it's difficult, as you guys might know. Sometimes you see examples in your own life that don't necessarily translate to anyone else, but it does seem to be a personal relationship mechanism that is kind of like dreaming. You can get insights from it, they don't translate to anyone else no one else cares what you saw in your dream not a lot of people are going to care about the synchronicities in your life but it's some kind of clue to something i don't know if that clue is that we live in a simulation i like the other one that there is a spiritual dimension And that that is the way the spiritual dimension kind of speaks to us, which Interstellar is a great example of how that would work. That's the best depiction I've ever seen. The little girl sees these books popping off her shelf and she's like a ghost is doing it. And then in a spoiler alert, a vortex beyond time and space, her own father, who she was telling about this phenomenon, is the one trying to signal her from the other side. So, you know, when your lights, when your grandma dies and your lights flicker on her birthday, what is that? And if, if it is her birthday, do you even remember? That's the thing. Sometimes there might be windows when people could communicate with us and we don't keep track of those dates even. So when people dismiss paranormal phenomenon and the occult and all this stuff, it's like, how much have you even really paid attention to? Because I think it's so baked in reality that when you are looking for it, you start to see it. And I don't mean that in the skeptic's way of like, oh, that's the, the phenomenon of finding patterns once you start looking for them. You know, don't dismiss that because I think that usually that's a clue that your life is on the right path or someone is supporting you from the other side. I, I still don't know what it means, but we can recognize and acknowledge that there are clues to something.
1: Agreed. Now we're kind of touching on this right now. Usually the subject of magic is where some people can split, you know, there's a lot of personal beliefs and indoctrinations that come into play there. Just want to know what your personal experience has been with magic since you've started THC.
2: You know, I haven't done a whole lot of stuff. I think of it as like exercise. I know what to do to get the results I ultimately would want. Uh, I know that it works. I've seen other people do it, who have good experience with it, and they get the results they want. And I'm just too lazy to actually do it myself. So I think magic really is like a like spiritual exercise. And there are obviously dark or risky things you can get involved with. I've read a lot of books that do contain rituals that have serious warnings there. And I've kind of dabbled in that, but I always, I never really gave it my all because I was almost afraid of it working. And uh, then when it doesn't work, I'm my half-assed attempt, I'm like, oh, well, maybe none of this works. And it's like, well, you know, you didn't give it your all. So it's a weird catch 22 loop. But when you're in the, those moments, sometimes it feels very real and your hair starts to stand up and you're like, maybe Maybe I'll just phone it in or mispronounce some things or mumble through this and like get, get out of here. And it just never seemed to really be to be uh, exactly working for me. But what does work and what I would recommend everybody engage with is things like sigil making or astrology. More humans throughout the history of Earth have followed the stars for their for mapping out their own life than didn't. You know, we're in a time when people don't do that for the most part, but a lot of people do. And today the people who do don't want you to know that they do it. And I wonder why that is because if there are windows for better success, if there are windows in which to launch something into existence and it has more potency and a better chance of success. I really don't care if you know that or not, as long as I know it. Right. You know, I would at least tell you about it. But, you know, a lot of other people keep that to themselves, whether they don't want the judgment or they want to keep that knowledge. You know, that's that's for you to figure out. But I think there are enough clues that there is something to that. And people should probably engage with it. Uh, a big part of magic is that you can manifest your goals or desires. And a lot of people don't even know know their goals or desires, which I think is a testament to the state of our society and what we're taught. There are 24 hours in a day. A day is not a short period of time. Most people listening are probably in their 20s. You've been on here on this planet for 20 years. What are your goals? Can you tell me? In a sentence or two? A lot of people can't. You've probably seen 23 Marvel movies, but have you thought about the next five years of your existence? This is a really frustrating thing because people say magic doesn't work and it's like, well, for it to work, you have to have a well-defined goal and then see if you can achieve it through occult means and most people don't even get to that step one so i think there are a lot of great teachers out there and great techniques i think there's a fallacy in thinking oh well if magic worked then why wouldn't people dabbling in the occult be running the world (laughs) and as well they might be but i think we all know people who like maybe hang out at the flea market and they look like they're at some renaissance festival and they're trying to do tarot cards and it's like they're doing tarot cards for 10 bucks a session you're like this guy this is not yielding results for this guy but you really (laughs) don't know what his goals are maybe his goal was to get out of his terrible warehouse job doing back-breaking labor and not have a boss and now he has everything he had before but he has this job or maybe it's just that some some skills aren't marketable maybe he's a great tarot card reader but maybe not a lot of people in kimswick missouri are into tarot So he has a small mark. There's all kinds of reasons. But I think if you work towards certain, I I guess my friend Gordon White, who's been on the show more than anyone, he can, he is called magic a probability enhancer. So you know, what's the probability that you guys are going to be president and secretary of state next year? Not good. It can, can magic increase the probability from not good to seriously not, you know, only barely not good. Sure. Maybe, but it still doesn't happen. It doesn't manifest. So we just say it didn't work, but you know, you could also manifest other things that are maybe less lofty and have a better chance of success. And if you just increase your probability a little bit, you move the needle a little bit. Your life can change radically. Casinos know this. That's why they, the house has a 55% advantage and they look like palaces of light. It doesn't take a lot. Probability enhancer and, and you can use it in your life.
1: You just mentioned Gordon White. That's funny because I actually found THC through Rune Soup. It was mm-hmm. your interview with Gordon as to how I found you because I guess my entryway was a bit more interest in the magical side of things. Who and Gordon end up meeting. Was it just through THC? You just had him on the show and you hit it off?
2: Yeah, I actually believe I could be mistaken, but I think he was a listener who reached out to me. I mean, this is early, early stuff. So like there aren't a lot of podcasts for this at all. And I believe he might have reached out to me and said, hey, I'm a listener. I run this blog. I'm sure we can find some things to talk about. And then I dug into it and really, really liked it. And I think that's how it started. But I've definitely asked him back more than any other person. And I think he's great. I think he uh, can apply his logic to magic, to geopolitics, to all sorts of areas that you wouldn't expect, to economics. And that allows him to be a very versatile guest that's well worth coming back. And uh, he is one of my favorites.
1: One of ours, too. I want to back up on something you said earlier. I kind of glossed over the cryptid experience thing. Uh, I've heard that story before, yeah. uh, but for our listeners, what if you were a betting man, what would you think that that was, looking back?
2: See, I still can't really put it into a category. And for people who have heard this before, I am sorry. I will do it quickly. But for people who haven't, it is an interesting story. The thing about me is I only have a couple of paranormal-ish experiences. So unless I'm going to start making things up, which I'm not going to do, people do hear about the same ones over and over. But when I was in kindergarten, my parents bought a house in a subdivision in rural Missouri that was being built. So it's like there's there's houses there, but there's a lot of uh, roads that aren't really even finished. Half the subdivision is not finished. So you could imagine that in the woods, there are still things there that maybe were always there. But we were walking around the neighborhood and I saw something down in a ravine. And at first, it kind of looked like it was so close to being on all fours. But it might have been hunched over so much that it looked like it was on all fours. But it it was as soon as I looked at it, it immediately felt my gaze and stared right back at me. And then it raised up on just like a humanoid figure would raise up. And uh, when I yelled to my parents, I was like, Mom and Dad, look, there's this weird bear thing. And that is how I described it. And I know there are not bears in Missouri like that. And they also, it was, it was very humanoid. It, the way it, it noticed my gaze and then reacted just from that, it really did seem like a some kind of humanoid creature. And then I said, no, 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 um, it's not a bear. Because I noticed that its skin looked, it, it didn't look like it had fur. It was bear shaped, but with fur, instead of fur, it had like a, a, gray, uh, a gray, rough skin. So I was like, no, it's like a weird rhino and i know there are not rhinoceroses there either i'm in kindergarten and these are the only things i can think of to describe it based on what i'm focusing on am i focused on the shape maybe it's a bear focused on the texture maybe it's some kind of weird rhinoceros without without horns but you could also see how Well, when I look back to a kid in kindergarten, those two animals are shaped broadly similarly from from a distance. And long story short, my parents just kind of were laughing and I was like once they noticed I was upset, they were trying to like get over to me and it took maybe five steps and just kind of disappeared like I didn't see it go behind anything. It just kind of like, as I was trying to like focus on it and get my parents over, it's like, it just like took a few steps and was gone. And uh, I was in such hysteria, really just because I was so traumatized by being the only one to see this. I was like, you were right fucking there, mom and dad. And if you had taken, if you had responded a little faster, this wouldn't be my secret alone. You know, you would have saw something. And now... When I think about all these stories and how kids tend to see through the veil a little easier, I don't know that they would have saw something. But in my head, I think they would have. And I was so upset and I, I was so freaked out by that that I made my parents go door to door To the nearest houses that were built and as i you know sobbed i would ask these people have you ever seen anything weird in the woods around here (laughs) and obviously they never did but i was so desperate to not take that to my grave myself i was so desperate to have someone else see it and unfortunately that's just not how these experiences go a lot of the time and uh as i've done the show i realized how typical a lot of that story is the weird part about it is the the fact that i can't categorize what that was it was not anything that looked like bigfoot a dog man maybe but i i really still didn't think it was furry i didn't sense a furriness to it uh it was either like it if it wasn't gray skinned like with rough wrinkly skin then i would might say it was uh like a shadow figure when people see shadow figures and they're just black they're just nothingness. It's possible that I would maybe describe it like that if I could see it again, but it was trippy. It was very weird. It's weird. You know, people have talked about skinwalkers on THC before, and maybe I I think it could have been something like a skinwalker because that is a person who, you know, dabbles in the occult and has gotten to this place where they can actually shift into a hybrid creature and that sounds far-fetched but if i had to put what i saw in any kind of box it would probably be that because i definitely think it disappeared i don't think it was a physical thing and it was more intelligent than an animal it just looked like one so it is it's hard to put into a category sometimes i just think things cross over from the veil and then as soon as they're recognized they hop back out whether it's elementals or even going back to fairy lore and how many indigenous cultures have paranormal creatures as part of their pantheon, part of the the structure of their existence. It's because people who are out in the woods See things. And that's another thing like magic naysayers, the naysayers. It's like, how often are you spending three or four days in the woods? Not that I was when I saw what I saw, but I was in an undeveloped area or an area that was very rural in Arnold, Missouri that was being developed. But like, would that same thing be there today? Probably not. But I've heard from guests like Dr. Stephen Skinner, a a magic and occult expert, that these spirits are very sensitive to sounds and smells. Mm -hmm. So good luck seeing one in one of the major cities where 95% of people live. Even a suburb is going to be too crazy for one of these things. What if they are connected to nature? Or what if elements of nature open up these portal areas? Well, then if that, that not, field is a little lower right, like right out in the woods and such. Right. So it's not going to happen, oh, happen in the cemented over Walmart parking lot. It's, it's going to happen way out in the woods. And so I would ask naysayers how often they're in those environments. Cause I'm sure it's not often. So it's the same with looking up at the night sky. I know people who sky watch regularly and they're like, it is not hard to see a UFO. Sure, it might look like a slow light that's just way off in the distance, but then it goes this way, and then it goes this way, and it's like you—you you don't see anything but a light, but you know it's not a satellite, you know it's not a shooting star. You just—you know—you just saw something like that. It's undefinable, and it's not hard, but people don't look, and I think that's why I've developed an interest in indigenous culture because so many of them, where whatever place you are in the globe, these people don't talk to each other but they all have similar thoughts about how reality is structured and how there is another dimension and being sometimes crossover from it.
1: It's funny you mentioned all these subjects in one just for a little personal antidote. The road behind my house on one, on one side of the road, the road is called Sweetwater Road. On one side of the road, there is the largest collection of Irish travelers in North America. And on this road is the home of the West Indians who had similar Irish fairy lore. And it's also a hot spot to where I've seen several things in the sky on that road. It's, they just just all, it all converges right there in that area. Yeah, that
2: makes sense to me. And yeah. I am—I'm really not someone who has a lot of crazy experiences. I even considered that one to be pretty mild because it was only five to ten seconds, and I was so young. I sometimes forget about it, but. Us. And also compared to the guests I have and the epic stories they sometimes tell, <laughs> I'm like, well, I've never seen anything like that. You know, I of <laughs> consider what I saw to be mild by comparison. But just from doing the show, people who like see my card has a giant wrap on it or something or people who ask me what I do, I tell them. And whether it's like a plumber or a mailman or just someone on the street, once I tell them I host a conspiracy paranormal podcast, almost, I would say at least at least half if not more will say oh dude let me tell you a story or let me tell you what my grandpa used to say Mm -hmm. you know my grandpa was in the military he flew jets he saw things all the time but he wouldn't tell anyone because then they'd have to go to a psychiatric evaluation and he didn't want the attention or you know I have a friend who I go to see a lot of movies with and I asked him to go see something this was a little while back I think it might have been Arrival and he was like no I can't man and then you know his wife was like you ever notice he won't go see the alien movies with you I was like I never put that together but I guess you're telling me that the times he said no it is an alien movie that I wanted to see and he's like yeah he has experiences and he they scare the shit out of him and I'm like this is one of my close friends and he hasn't told me this and it's because some people just don't want to and so you know how many people really have experiences when you factor in those who aren't even in the right environment those who want to keep it quiet you know those who are denying what even what their own eyes have shown them. I'm sure this thi- this kind of stuff isn't as rare as uh, we think it is sometimes.
1: There's too many military accounts for there not to be something because those are really the people who can really get in a lot of trouble for running their mouth off, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. They're, They're always- also the people who have a desire to manipulate public perception, which always frustrates me when it's military intelligence and the Pentagon telling us about UFOs. Like, well, I'm glad you're admitting that there's something out there in the world, but I do not trust you on anything, let alone this. So (laughs) I just don't trust those people. I don't want them to have control of the narrative. I would much rather hear from some Amazonian shaman about what the lights in the sky are, uh, because I just think he has a little less of an agenda, even though it is a catch-22 because who's going to see the most ufos people flying jets around who are flying jets around Mm -hmm. military people but i just think that they are how many organizations have an intelligence department or have a media relations department i mean the militaries have some of the most robust culture creation and they invade the entertainment industry like anything that has military craft in it the military has had to sign off on so they're always presented favorably like they use Call of Duty as a recruiting tool. I mean, they're geniuses at infiltrating media and and and, and crafting narratives for the public. So just because they're telling you about UFOs, don't buy it, hook, hook line and sinker. You know, that's what I would say.
1: Greg, listeners of THC will know that there are a few topics that get your juices going, uh, one being the hollow earth. What I would ask is what is it about the hollow earth theory specifically that intrigues you so much? And do you have a guest or moment on the show that really just blew your mind in regards to the hollow earth?
2: Well, I guess what interests me so much about it is the fact that there just could be so much unexplored territory left uh, in a physical sense, which right now we just consider... The world to be well mapped and there's nothing else to it. Although I have done shows about secret islands that the elite keep that have never been on maps and they avoid certain flight paths. But the hollow earth, I think, is a a paradigm that takes us to a really interesting degree because I've had guests talk about the little green beans that are abducting people. They're not from outer space they're from right here i've had guests talk about the fact that fairy lore being taken to fairyland or them kidnapping children all this all this uh celtic lore they're taking them underground a lot of times into cave systems well what if they have a vast civilization down there what if they aren't just spiritual beings but there is a physical elf land beneath our feet well there's a lot of reasons to think this could be possible even though People consider the, uh, the composition of the earth to be settled science. It actually is not. It is just a, a theory, and people still debate, well, what's at the center? Is it magma? Is it an iron core? If you do any kind of searches, I, just on my news feed in the last couple of weeks, There's been this big story, I didn't even get too deep into it, about them discovering this new layer of the earth. Like they really don't know much about what's inside. About the
0: ocean. They heard the waves on the microphone at the bottom of the sea.
2: Oh, the inner ocean? Yeah. Yeah, We know that. We know. So that's what I was going to get into is we know know there's an inner ocean uh, beneath the surface. One of the biggest forests. Uh, One of the biggest caves in China has a forest in it with a giant ecosystem. It has clouds that form in the cave. Like this is crazy. It's called like Sundong Cave. But if you just search forest cave China, you're going to find it and it's nuts. We're discovering all kinds of strange stuff. What else did I uh, recently read? I I heard about, oh, there was an article going around about a year ago that talked about strange particles coming up in Antarctica through the ice that they don't know what they are. This is like science.com articles. They're like, oh, we've captured these strange particles and we have no explanation for why they would be coming up from Antarctica. We just don't know. We only recorded them. And you might get a theory, but I think it's probably radiation from the inner sun because that is the conception that, a lot of people um, had that were never popularized, but they are scientific theories that support it. When you have been on, let's say, this ride, this is like my dumb stoner explanation, but there's this ride at a lot of carnivals, carnivals that people get on where it's a big circle and you put your back against the wall and it spins so fast, the bottom falls out and you can lift your feet up, it's hard to pull your neck off the wall. The point being, when things spin, they push things out towards the surface when they spin super fast. And when you look at geodes, round rocks, they have a cavity inside with crystals like there seems to be something about rotation and about, you know, spherical, circular geometry that it'll cre- it will. it's more likely to me that it creates a cavity. Uh, it's more likely to me that it would push things towards this outer edge because the way spin is it just pushes things from its center point. Even the tilter, the little, uh, the tilt a spinner thing kids get injured on in the, in the <laughs> playground. I mean, it pushes things out. So that makes more sense to me than gravity pushes everything to the center. And it makes, and I'm, you know, don't take my word for it. There are a lot of people who support that. Dean Dominic DeLucia was a really great guest who broke the hollow earth down for us. First, he comes from the Vedic cosmology perspective. So he is looking at ancient texts and ancient stories that support a hollow earth. And then Brooks Agnew for the people who are more scientific, he would be a guy who's looking at all the science and, and physics and making a strong, modern, acceptable argument for the hollow earth. So I would say those two guys, whether you're more into the mythology and, and like listening to old stories and saying they probably knew a lot way back then. Maybe they knew something about the Earth. Or if you're more into the science thing, I would say Brooks Agnew. But those are, And Eric Dollard is another one who is very scientific. Some of the ether physics folks, some of the people who get really into Tesla technology and that sort of stuff. You ask them about the Earth and they'll say they believe it's hollow. Nassim Haramein uh, is another one who... Who says that something that
0: jumped at me on Brooks Agnew was he was talking about the Boxstrom saga, right? He was talking about the emergence point. And that's like, and he was talking hollow earth as well, right? mm mm-hmm. But go back as well a little further, talking maybe Corey Daniels, talking about with the Hope
2: mm-hmm. believe. Yeah, right. There, there's a lot of uh, indigenous stories about periods of cataclysm and being taken down inside the earth. I believe that's what you're talking about with the Hopi, that they survived a cataclysm because they were taken under the earth by the ant people, they say. Well, what does a gray alien look like but... How would you describe that? Using animals. Ant person wouldn't be a bad one. A bad, you know, that's pretty accurate description. So there's a lot of weird stuff that point to the fact that maybe we're not the most advanced species on this planet. And maybe the surface isn't the most interesting thing about this planet. Because how many things does nature make that the outside edge is the most interesting and the rest of it is just nothing of use? Very little. Think about any fruit. You cut it open. And the inside is vastly more interesting than the outside surface. And I mean, that's just a dumb stoner argument, <laughs> but I just think nature produces things in, in a certain way at scales. And if you just use other, other parts of that scale and extrapolate about the whole earth, I think the inside might be quite interesting. And it doesn't even have to be hollow in the conceptual model that a lot of these guys have for me to be interested. There's a lot of uh, inner earth stuff. So the earth doesn't have to be hollow. We know it has these vast cave systems that we've never even been to the bottom of. What if they connect all over the planet? You know, what if they do have a central hub? They are all over the planet. I can't say they connect, but they definitely are. And the Moho layer is a layer of the earth that's 12 miles down that is porous like a sponge. A lot of things could live in there. So it doesn't have to be hollow. To be interesting under the surface i think we just never really talk about the subterranean world we know no- so little about it and when we crash things into the moon or we even get seismic readings of our own planet it reverberates like a bell the moon did or ours there is a point in the earth where the seismic waves aren't red well maybe it's because there's a cavity here and they're red except for this period where there, there's a cavity. And could things live there? That's up to you to decide. But I would invet- tell people to look into that because we adopt a lot of things as settled science that really aren't.
1: Yeah, I think that was my next we- point. I think most folks would just be shocked at just how unsettled science really is. There's so much contention and bickering within the scientific community. It'll scare you if you really look into it, you know? Mm-hmm. I can't, the percentage is lost to me right now, but it's the majority of scientific studies just can't be repeated.
2: Yeah, there was a, um, Chris Knowles brings that up a decent amount there was famous scientist who was quoted and saying we have a serious replicability problem in the sciences and some have used that to suggest that reality itself is starting to unravel in a weird way people have seen that movie annihilation chris Knowles leans on that a lot the shimmer this weird dimensional overlay that it, it just shifts reality it warps the code of the DNA that is the structure of all life on this planet. And it just warps it a little bit and weird things start to emerge and it. It's a different place altogether. And I, that, that kind of could be what she's talking about. This, this scientist who is like, we have a giant replicability problem. Things aren't working as they're supposed to work as our books told us, they work as they worked when I was in, in college working on this stuff. Now we can't do it. Right. Strange. And people worship at the altar of science these days, especially in 2020 and 2021. They want to believe that all the answers are there. And that is a religion. That is religious thought. You want to believe all the answers are there. But no matter what sliver of science you want to look at, I can show you a lot of things that are contradictory. There is not just one opinion. For every PhD you have who thinks A, B, and C, I've got one who thinks X, Y, and Z. They just haven't been on the platforms that you listen to most. It's not a consensus. Science is a process. And when people treat it as God, which is really what they're doing, when they just believe that it's all answered and these people have it, that's why I always used to think God was such a simplistic concept. Just, you don't want to understand reality You don't want to try to understand it. You want to trust God's plan and just trust this, that this thing's, you know, you don't have to do anything. Just sit back and trust the plan. That's why I think you work uh, because people are already predisposed to that type of thinking.
1: It's easier to believe someone already has the answers.
2: Yes. Yes. And I think it's more important now than ever to actually do our due diligence and even things you think you can take for granted that you would never normally question you need to question them that's a form of intellectual exercise we talked about the spiritual exercise the physical uh this is the mental and the mental i never had a problem doing and i actually find it to be exciting my favorite comics were always ones who dropped raw truth and i was just like oh my god i can't believe he said that especially in a pre-internet world it was the only vehicle to hear really radical ideas was through a George Carlin or, or a Bill Hicks. And mm-hmm. it was just, it is kind of the, the first kind of stuff where my worldview was challenged. And there are just two kinds of people, ones who cannot confront that and they get reactionary and angry. And then people who just aren't bothered. And those people are a lot more rare. I've only had a few friends in my life that I could go to with any idea Any idea and say, dude, I read this thing that says blah, 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 was faked or this or this is an attack. And they would not get emotional about it. They would just be like, that's interesting. You know, and then they would do their their reading and they'd find out if they're like, oh, man, I, I think that might be bullshit. We don't have to believe everything we entertain. We don't have to believe everything that we're willing to research. So just think there's two types of people, ones who who have a really hard time confronting their own beliefs. And I think in the realms of science, you really should do that right now. And every bit of science you take for granted, go and watch a documentary because I guarantee there is one about the counter argument and see if you find it interesting. Because you'll find that if thousands of people believe something, there's probably a case in there somewhere to be made for something, even if those people are the minority, even if it's not, uh, even if if it conflicts with consensus reality, you should investigate it for yourself and decide if you think it has any merit. Because I bet you you'll find that the number of people who believe that thing that you think is so crazy have some good arguments.
1: Speaking of questioning your own beliefs, since the show has grown and you've grown older and wiser, is there a theory or an idea that you've shifted your perspective on over time after being presented with evidence?
2: Hmm. I'm probably magic is a good example. When I first got into magic, it was mainly through conspiracy. It was through guys like David Ike who would talk about the elite doing all these rituals. And you know, some people think that gets a little extreme, and and maybe they it get it jumps the shark a bit and gets a little little off from the, the truth but I think the truth there is somewhere in the middle between what you're presented with in the mainstream in the and those David Ike extremes and so I was like well what if they're do, if they do ritual and we see these award shows that are being done uh, the Super Bowl halftime show there's a lot of esotericism baked into that and you got to ask why it must work or they wouldn't keep doing it the elite don't tend to waste their time on things so I, I think a lot of them know there's value in it, and they hire the real people whose names will never know, who dedicate their lives to understanding it, and they say, we want to do something. What's the best date? You know, we want to do something, you know, whatever it is. Uh, where's the best place to do it? What's the, what's the sky weather look like over here on this, this particular week? Will we get away with what we wanna get away with? And they have clear intentions. They know how to state them. They know the right people to go to, to help them. And I think that's how a lot of events actually happen. And that's, there's just a giant spell Uh, in my opinion, mainstream culture. But I got into magic from that perspective of like, what are the elite doing to us? And then it kind of shifted to like, well, if this is a true framework of how reality works, then I should be able to use it too. And I started interviewing people that were more Per, about personal practice and not in the same spooky stuff, but yeah, things like divination and, and, uh, lucid dreaming and remote viewing and just all the things that tiptoe around exploring this other side of reality. And from them, I learned that you can basically strengthen any part of that you want to. You know, I grew up in this weird way thinking like, oh, well, I'm just not good at sports so i don't play sports and thus it's a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of but now i've realized that we all can do pretty much anything we want it's just you got to be dedicated and that's what's so great about this sandbox reality i think is that you can you you are not stuck in what you think you are it might take more application for you to get there, but like any one of us could do pretty much anything we wanted to do. And you could take a dictionary. And if you commit, if you promised yourself you'd commit to whatever you landed on, you could spin that thing, land on fishing and be like, okay, I'm going to make my living as a fisherman. I don't know how, but I'm dedicated to that as a aim or a goal. Even as, even though it's derived by completely random means, you could do it. You would do it. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And I wish people le- leaned on that a little more. I wish people played with it a little more because we're just stuck in this, this situation where we don't like our jobs. We're struggling paycheck to paycheck. We don't see a solid future, especially if we're young. And it's like, that's one way to live, you know, or you can just rip the bandaid off and start playing with it and like pushing back on it a little bit and be like, this isn't going to define my life. This narrative is not good enough for me. And I'm going to find a way to dedicate myself to more. But you need solid aims. That's the first step. It all starts in the mind. Like When you look at how a lot of indigenous cultures even layer reality and structure it, or why were the angels jealous of man? There seems to be something about us that we can create. Uh, An angel can maybe uh, seed ideas. A spirit can seed ideas like some demon out there, but only man can create, which is why I think spiritual entities are so fascinated with influencing us, because If they can get you to create what they dreamt up, that's just fun for them for some reason. And it's influence in reality, which is a currency on the other side, I think. So you got to have a strong mind. Make sure that your ideas are your own or that you're taking them from uh, the right. You're picking them from the right trees, you know, the right etherical fruit. (laughs) And uh, just play around with it, I think. But we can we can manifest. So you have to think of the thing first and then you live it through. We want to enter we want to be bodybuilders. We could be bodybuilders. With enough dedication, we would be in competitions in 2 years. It, you can do any freaking thing you want and that's great. So many people just decide to, you know, get really good at Apex Legends.
1: What are what are Gregg Carlwood's favorite THC moments? Were there any truth bombs dropped on the air that you look back on retrospectively and think, man, that was a really powerful moment?
2: Well, one of the first ones that really made an impact on me was Professor Griff from Public Enemy, because this is a guy who Public Enemy is a household name. They've been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They've been deep, deep in the music industry like these aren't, you know, amateur indie bands. Uh, Public Enemy is a, a big major name. And he said, like, yes, they have altars in the basements and back rooms of record labels. And that was interesting. That's a level of confirmation that I would never be able to get. And it's still speculative, but that's the closest I've got to someone who can say yes. And more recently, Adam Curry who people might know from the No Agenda show. I interviewed him to talk about the changes that are coming to podcasting 2.0 that he's working on and there's some really interesting stuff since these corporate platforms are shutting us all down, we need alternatives and he's definitely working on that and decentralizing podcast oh, podcasting away from the Apple index and they're building their own index. But because I had him and he has a, a history as an MTV VJ and he's interviewed like all these crazy celebrities like Ozzy Osbourne and just I mean he was deep in MTV pre-internet so he's interviewed probably everybody but I asked him about that question like do you see any of that darkness any of that occult esoteric stuff uh, did you see that in your position and he was a little roundabout but he didn't say no he's like yeah you know you see all kinds of weird stuff and people do have all kinds of beliefs and he actually went on a, a, pr- a pretty good tear about it he didn't flat out just confirm confirm it you know or, or anything but he, he knows what I was getting that and he basically gave me the the nod like yeah uh, there's definitely truth to some of that crazy stuff that we see that we hear about on the uh conspiracy forums
1: so i know the conspiracy realm can be filled with some very interesting people but also potentially some undesirables (laughs) have you had a situation have you had a spooky situation arise yet i guess is what i'm trying to ask
2: uh no i used to always speculate about when something gets big enough they have to get the tap on the shoulder as they say like like Joe Rogan some people speculate yep. has he been talked to because he stops he stopped talking about the uh, moon landing being faked even though he knew all the great bullet points about it and various other things and maybe took a more mainstream approach now he says he felt the responsibility because of the size of his audience that is something i understand his audience is obviously vastly more uh, large than mine But even in my small audience, I do also feel a responsibility to not waste their time with complete silliness and sometimes extreme opinions and extreme conclusions about certain things and silliness can be very close. And I never want to jump that shark into like, well, this is just a waste of my time. I always want people to be like, man, that that's wild. But what if there's something to it? And I want there to be some kind of case. So I understand the responsibility aspect. So I, I don't think he's uh, lying, but people speculate about that And if you mean spooky in that way, no, maybe the, the spookiest thing to me was when I was still early on operating on a donations basis, certain people would start donating huge four figure sums of money every month. And then those came with like guest suggestions attached to them. And then the funding would get pulled if I didn't get to the guests that they wanted. Mm. And that felt like I was being controlled because at that point, I was either still at GameStop or had freshly quit. Either way, I was poor and $4,000 was a lot of money. So uh, I guess I'm interviewing whoever you want me to interview. So now I do that model of the first hour is free and the second hour is for an $8 a month subscription. And people do huff and puff and grumble about that model. But you have to understand when I was on just a donations basis and I just wanted to trust my audience to support me, they weren't doing that. And instead, a couple of high-profile people were, and that made a worse show for everybody except them. <laughs> but it made a worse show for the listener and for me, and I could not operate that way. So I flexed to the money bomb. And then I what I re- learned from that is when instead of just asking people to support, support something say this is what I've done if you like it and you give me some money then this other thing happens instead of just donate me donate to me because you like what you already got out of me because people just don't do that the psychology is I just got it for free dude I'm, I'm out I'm on to the next thing so the money bomb was interesting because it was a chance to win money and then I was like well why don't, why don't I do t- a second hour because then the first hour it still feels complete it's not supposed to feel like it doesn't have an ending to it but People hear that it's plenty of time to know if you like what I do and like my guest suggest, uh, like my guest lineup and the topic suggestions that we go after. And if you do, then you pay the eight bucks and you get twice as much of it just instantly. And I think that's the best approach to try to get some kind of reciprocation going. But that's, I think, also been great insurance for me. It's been an insulator for anyone to have any kind of real influence over me. And I get so much feedback now and I want to listen to it that it kind of gets in my head sometimes. And I've learned that I operate best when I pretend like the show is still young and I have no listeners and I've got to get listeners. Now, how do you get those listeners? I operate best when that's my mindset and I'm not getting the suggestions and the feedback and the books from certain publishers and this and that. So... I've pretty much insulated myself from any real creepiness, but if I had to cite anything, it would be those early big donations. Maybe there are people just being nice. Maybe someone has a windfall of $500,000 and they just really like this podcaster and they want that to support that journey and they drop four or five, six grand in their lap a couple of times. That's not so bad. That's a beautiful thing. And I would not be here probably if I didn't see potential because of some things that actually happened. I was right. like, wow. If if I can get four thousand from one guy, maybe I can get four thousand from everybody collectively. Those I, those those things fueled me to keep going. So I don't want to like totally shit on people who support <laughs> podcasting, but there is a level of support where it does get a little strange, and then when it's conditional, it gets even more strange, and when it's a conspiracy show where people like me are gonna have this kind of mindset it doesn't take a lot right. to send me off man you're already <laughs> out there
0: don't put something else on the radar <laughs> yeah.
2: uh, that was a little strange a little on the creepy side and so when people are like why don't you just go back to the donations model it's like okay every time someone says that i'd love to know how many times that person donated to anything and how many shows they support out of the kindness of their heart 'Cause I bet it isn't a whole lot.
1: People it's worth the eight dollars, pay the man.
2: Uh, <laughs> well, everybody's got their own preferences, but I hope that there is at least a, a niche underground world of people and that, that like what I do, and obviously there is, and it's been very great. I mean, I'm super, super fortunate to be in the position I'm in now, and uh, I'm just going to keep trying to do what I do, but that's about it.
1: You mentioned two comedians earlier, uh, Bill Hicks and Carlin. I yes. think it was in your Gordon White interview where you mentioned that they led you to Robert Anton Wilson and Terrence McKenna, mm-hmm. and it just seems that there's a decent amount of people in the comedy realm who lean more towards the fringe of things even today even a certain scale you have joe rogan and duncan trussell why do you think that is
2: well i think it all is because of counterculture i just think that the commonality between those comedians and those kind of thought leaders like robert anton wilson and terence mckenna is that none of them could just be middle management at Best Buy in Ohio and have a nice house in the suburbs, two kids and a family dog. Like they just could not do that. They could, you couldn't see their personality living like that. They would have blown their heads off. And so I think the commonality is that this, this cookie cutter Americana presentation, it doesn't even look appealing, let alone achievable. And I think that Some people that just that's that's kind of the connective tissue I see between some of those people is just just counterculture and they're more attracted to the mysteries of life and the subject areas that are not on the radar of the nightly news. And luckily they were able to find a way to make that work for them because when there are fewer of them around, you get the support of all kinds of people. But man, I wish I could hear the Terrence McKenna podcast or the Robert Anton Wilson podcast. I have to listen to your scratchy recordings from a high school auditorium. Uh, I make it work, and we all do, but there are some bright, bright minds in the pre-internet age that we never got to see shine, and at least we can carry their ideas forward.
1: Since uh, THC has pretty much become the go-to in the conspiracy realm, you've had damn near Uh, everybody on. Are there any white whales still swimming out there for Captain Carwood? Oh, Yeah.
2: (laughs) There are. There are. David Ike was one for a while, but then I had him on twice, and that was great, but it didn't happen until late in the game. I would say Jacques Vallée is very high up there, and... Uh... Maybe someone like Tyler from Diana Posolka's American Cosmic book. There are people in the invisible college, they call it, the nexus of Silicon Valley and venture capital and military intelligence that have gotten their hands on some of these materials from either the other dimension or from the crash saucer. They just they're they're very strange. And these are the people who've been kind of playing with that and trying to figure out what it can do and what they can do with it these are the people that I wish I had the opportunity to ask them questions for two hours and know that I was getting straightforward honest answers the whole time that is probably the area where my dream white whale guests would reside in terms of just people who are researchers like there are cool people like David Icke, but some of them, when they've been in the game for a long time, you might only ask four questions in a whole two hours. And a guy like David Icke wants to talk about his latest project. So you start bringing up past projects and he's not really that keen on it. And he directs the conversation back to the latest book. Nothing wrong with that. It's the game we play. But I would want to interview someone uh, instead of an Alex Jones who's just like got some kind of media project to promote. I would want to interview someone who is working with stuff directly and probably isn't a household name, and people probably don't even know who they are. And I probably don't even know exactly who they are. I just know what they work on and what space they work on. I love the Hollow Earth, but I just don't know of anyone I could even possibly interview if I had my choice of everyone on the planet that could actually, like, confirm my suspicions. It would be great to interview Admiral Bird, but he is dead. Oh. But, you know, the, the real military admiral who flew over the poles and saw a hole and and fought crafts that came out of it that people think are nazis but i'm not so sure speaking of
0: nazis you're uh i heard something earlier this week about you uh nazis having maps of these inner earth
2: oh yeah, yeah. it's very gnarly the nazi party at least a, a subsect of it had real beliefs in the inner earth and the hollow earth and there's the speculation that they went to argentina and then continued on to antarctica and they founded new Schwabenland which is a city a civilization in antarctica under the ice through the uh you know the tunnel to the inner world and some speculate they are still there but the speculation at the time was that that is who Admiral Byrd was fighting because they had cracked Tesla technology, they had cracked ether physics, and they had anti-gravitic flying craft. So these Foo Fighters people were seeing during World War II were these experimental, like revolutionary crafts that the Nazis were using. And when you get to the subsect that would have made it to Antarctica, these are the crafts they used to make that journey and to, to live down there. It's a possible possibility. It's a good theory because the timeline works out pretty well, and then there was the 1952 White House flyover of UFOs which anyone can clearly see well that's like a decade after the war ended it's like well I could see a civilization of escaped Nazis laying low and then trying to work out some diplomatic agreement with the UN or the rest of the world that says you don't talk about us we don't bother you and then if they didn't want to sign it as a show of of, a muscle flex you know a show of force fly over the White House and your crafts freak everybody out and then say, okay, we'll keep this technology a secret, and we're gonna keep our our base off limits, and you just let us live our happy existence. I can see that kind of arrangement being made. I could also see it being some inner earth beings that are ancient and far beyond us. And uh, they didn't want Admiral Byrd coming in there. So I don't know, but there are a lot of interesting things uh, in that regard. But I don't know. In terms of dream guests, it would just be the people who have gotten to see those meta metals, meta materials, most likely.
1: I like to lean towards the Lovecraftian angle on the inner earth. Well, that's just me.
2: Resting <laughs> place for the old ones.
1: <laughs> yep, that's my ideal situation there. So, Greg, I myself have never taken any psychedelics. I'm not opposed to it; just never been presented with the opportunity.
2: That shocks me. Looking <laughs> at you, I <laughs> will uh,
1: yeah, get that a lot. <laughs> for <me> for you. <laughs> Do you have any uh, personal psychedelic experiences? Absolutely. Uh, have, you, have you talked to the Clockwork Elves? <laughs>
2: I talked to something. Uh, It didn't present itself to me as an elf, but I guess I could understand that description. But when I took salvia, I had an experience that I did not expect because when I took salvia, I will also make this one kind of go through it because I talk about this too much. But uh, it was the time I pierced the veil. So uh, it's very impactful. Important event. (laughs) Yeah, very important. Salvia is something. Salvia devonorum, it's a plant you could get at a lot of head shops. And it's not—it wasn't illegal at the time. And I had a friend out from Calif- or from back in Missouri, out to California, who wanted to try it because it was legal. I was like, sure, let's go try it. I expected nothing because I'd done it once before and it was weak. But what happened was I was instantly transported to the other side. All the things people talk about a winding kind of feeling uh, some kind of like sing songy chance that got you there. It was, it's very strange, but it checks a lot of the same boxes as uh, near death experiencers and other things. And when I was on the other side, I spoke with two entities and they had these attitudes. It was a male and female and the male was like, dude, this is awesome. I can't believe you're here. And the female entity was a little more skeptical, like he's not going to be here long. Just ignore him, like leave him alone. Why do you get this excited about this? It's, it's just going to be so brief. There's no point in being excited. And that was a, about the the gist of our conversation that went kind of back and forth a couple of times. And I was just so out of it that I never truly responded. And then I started to I could I looked down at my body Which probably looked pretty lifeless and scary to my two buddies in the room and they're kind of shaking me trying to get me to come out of it. And I remember thinking I can go down there and I can calm them down or I can just like press forward and keep journeying through here because this is so trippy. I know I'll get back to that body, but I want to keep going into this because it wasn't scary And it felt very natural, which is the thing that a lot of -of out-of-body experiencers say. They say, I was transported out of my body, and it felt like this is my natural state, and the body was just a coat I was wearing for a while, and I had forgotten to take it off or forgot I could. And that is how it felt to me. And that was always something that stuck with me, and it changed my life forever because I was an atheist that day. I thought I was very smart and smug, and I had all the answers, and God's not real, and there is no spiritual dimension. And then once that happened, I was in it. And it was so, like, so, it confirmed my, even though I was, I was, All the 40 and stuff I liked, you had to kind of like shoehorn in a spirit world, even if you wanted to be an atheist somehow. You had to spirit, think about some other dimension, but it confirmed it when I was actually there and presented with it. And so I do believe in uh, so many of those things that I used to scoff at. And I would say that was probably the most profound. I've done LSD a couple of times, mushrooms a handful of times, Uh, nothing as profound as those salvia experiences. And that again is I'm in a minority. A lot of people, they would not tell you salvia was their most potent psychedelic and just like the The experience I had, what I saw when I was young, it doesn't fit into a category. And when the story doesn't really conclude, it's not that great of a story. So a lot of people would rather say, I saw a Bigfoot or I saw this or that. And it's just another way that my weird, interesting experiences, the most interesting experiences of my life, they still define even those categories and those boxes that I hear so often. But yeah, I think everyone should try psychedelics. I think of it as a rite of passage. You should wait until you are fully baked go through puberty, let your brain fully, uh, fully form. And in a context of exploration, not partying, you should do it. You should try it. And I think the reason it's illegal, just like the reason magic is suppressed and dismissed, we could say it used to be suppressed. Now it's just dismissed out of hand. But the reason these things aren't prevalent in our American society is uh, for a reason. And they're prevalent around the world when you get outside of our bubble. And I think people should explore that. And that's, Big part of what I try to explore on the show.
1: Did did any of your friends have experiences that day as well? Or was it just you?
2: Unfortunately, they didn't. Uh, It was just me. They did smoke it, but they did not break through in the same way. And um, I did it a few other times after that. And the breakthrough was also very similar. But the conversation on the other side was more brief and more brief. And just uh, it just seemed to lose a little of its potency from that first time. And so I just stopped doing it. I had an opportunity to go to Peru to do ayahuasca, but it was in the summer of 2020 and got canceled. Uh, Now I don't know if I'll be able to do that, but I don't know that I need to do it, honestly. It's probably the last type of journey that I'd be interested in doing, but I don't really think that changed my beliefs any. It would just confirm things that I'm pretty confident in now already, because I've heard so many different reports and so many different ayahuasca stories. And if you don't want to do psychedelics yourself, or if you're nervous about it, or if you aren't to an age where you think it's appropriate yet, because honestly don't fuck around. If you're, if your brain is still forming, let it form just because you're an adult at 18. You don't know this until you're 35 to look back. But like, I didn't start making good decisions until I was like 25. (laughs) And, uh, At that point, I think is when a person should maybe in a ritual context or just a spiritual meditative context, try some of these things. And if you're afraid to or don't want to get deep into the reports of people who do until, you know, get deep into the reports. And the reason why I even started smoking weed and started like being interested in mushrooms is because George Carlin and Bill Hicks were interested in them, and I loved the way they thought. And I was like, wow, these guys are such interesting thinkers, and they give credit to the mushroom. Mm-hmm. Is the mushroom going to make me a genius? Probably not. But it might make me see the world in a different way, and I think it probably is. Marijuana definitely is responsible for uh, a lot of the ways that I see the world, and that's why I pay it homage with the show's title, The Higher Side Chats. THC. And yeah, I I think it's something people should explore either intellectually or actually, but don't just dismiss it and don't think it's all just people tripping and chemicals changing in their brain because it's more than that. And you might not believe me, but I'm telling you probably by this weekend, you could know for sure if you just asked around. You
1: know? <laughs> well said. Greg, you mentioned before that you moved to San Diego, you were a movie guy. So I got a like you were a movie guy growing up. So what are your favorite films?
2: Mm. Well, there's a lot of the uh, typical stuff like Tarantino films I really liked. But if we wanted to talk obscure, and if I wanted to talk kind of in the genres in which I think you guys dabble in and your audience appreciates, one movie I really love that doesn't seem to get a lot of play is Dark City. I'm sure you've seen it. Mm. You probably even talked about it. But but that is a, a trip of a movie. Also, I obviously love The Thing. That's that old movie. I don't know if it holds up. I watched it a few weeks back, and I, I didn't really feel like they stuck the landing like I used to think they, they did. But also really liked The Cell. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw that. It's a weird movie with Jennifer Lopez and Vince Vaughn as a cop. But they develop a technology where they can put you into someone's dream world. And there's a psychopathic killer out there who locks girls in a chamber that fills with water over a 24-hour period. And so they've only got 24 hours to get into his mind and uh, and find out where he stored the girl. But when you go into the mind of this, this psychopathic killer, the way they did it, like the world they show you, the visual effects are just... Really, really amazing, and there's even weird plays on the stuff we've been talking about today, where you can go into someone else's world, and if you have a strong enough mind, you can kind of present yourself the way you want to in their world, and you can kind of push back on on it being just their conscious creation. Uh, I also really like the sci-fi movie called. Sp- Uh, sphere that doesn't get a lot of play. It's another one that plays on, uh, on consciousness and like what's in your head. Let's see other obscure movies. That are in kind of this sci-fi horror what about cube have you ever seen yeah cube?
1: see when you said uh the cell that's the cube is what came into my head I'm not, I'm not familiar with the jennifer lopez the cell but cube yeah.
2: most people aren't i think the cell is probably the most obscure of those movies and it was one that always i really really liked i think it might hold up because i think a lot of the sets were practical effects And a lot of the aspects of the world creation was was elaborate costumes. So it's not like this is a movie from 2001 with terrible CGI. I don't think CGI comes into it a whole lot. But I would tell people to watch that. If you like this kind of stuff, assuming you're into the horror genre, I'm really not. So I go adjacent like to these things that are dark, but they're more sci-fi or they're consciousness exploration. But I think people, if they haven't seen The Cell, would like it. If they I like haven't seen it, so I for but, sure.
1: So in case people have been living under a rock, Greg, why don't you tell everybody what's on the horizon? Where can they find you?
2: Right on. Well, thanks so- for having me, guys. It is a lot of fun to talk to friends and colleagues and listeners and people who are familiar with the show. But, yeah, the thehiresidechats.com. You can find it anywhere you find podcasts. Put it in any podcast player. If you like that first hour, you know, listen to several of them. And if you find it to be something special, maybe support it for eight bucks a month. And you don't have to have a subscription forever. It's like Netflix. Like you can just have it for a month. You can try it out. But I've got an archive of 10 years worth of shows. And I think you will uh, find something you like. Judge them based on the title and just kind of like wade through it. I try to make pretty descriptive titles so you're going to know broadly what it's about. And if you're not interested in something, just skip it. Don't assume, don't just like, why waste your time? You're not interested in that. But the net is very broad. And so I think there's... Something for anyone who is interested in any kind of counterculture uh, subject matter of any kind. That's pretty much the spiel. I also have shirts at the higher and a lot of them also jive with the paranormal and occult enthusiasts out there and their fashion choices. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, you heard it there, folks. Go to the higher and pay this man, Mr. Carwood. Ah. It's been a pleasure.
2: And support these guys as well. You do great stuff. I I actually really like the uh, are you a afraid of the dark episode oh wow
1: you listen to that episode
2: um, yeah
1: that's crazy let me stop the recording